This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. I need the word to stand on. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate it more than you can possibly imagine. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, maybe even stuff going on in this crazy, crazy world. Uh, we'll do the best we can. You just need to call us. You can dial 210 210- Three four zero ninety five eighty five. That's three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Numerically, it's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa dot com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. Remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else then will be hands-free as you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Well, since it's Tuesday, I don't have a bunch to talk about. I can say this, ladies especially, uh, some of you who are a little bit younger, uh, if you can go to calvarysa.com and watch... Uh, Lauren Alf's uh, Sweet Summer Devotion from last night. I promise you, you will be blessed. I promise you. I got to watch it uh, today, this morning. And um, I've known her since she was six years old. So uh, I, I was so very, very proud. Okay, let's get to some questions. We've got um, Ruben from Seguin on line one. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor. I pray that you had a blessed day today. Thank you, Reuben. I did. You were absolutely right the other day when you told me I was going to love the book of Daniel. It's like <laughs> <laughs> I read chapters 6 through 10, and oh my oh, wow. God, it, it it just blew my mind. I mean, and for anyone who doesn't read the Bible and if they're just listening, if you can't, you know, read the Bible and find it thrilling and captivating then you know, I don't know what's wrong with you. And I don't mean that in the wrong way, but it, yeah. you're right. But I have a question, okay? Okay, before you get your question, Ruben, before you get your question, you know, one of the things that I really love about the book of Daniel is it follows him from from being a teenager at his exile and and all the way when you get to chapter 6, he's in his 70s. And just to to watch his life progress and see things that are going on and to see how his faith endured is an absolute inspiration. So that's what I want to say. What's your question? It is, and uh, uh, I watched it, and, and for anyone who disputes the Bible being real, you know what I did mm-hmm. today for the first time? I Googled 
the names of the kings that he served under. Darius, mm-hmm. Belshazzar, I believe was one of them, and I can't remember the other one. But um, the it, it, I mean, Google, you know, told me, hey, these kings reigned from 560 to 600 or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, which I found interesting. I never thought I never thought about googling it, and I did, and it just it, it you know confirmed that these guys were real, and Daniel was real. So how yep. can they dispute the Bible? But anyways, the question is, in chapter 10, um, when Daniel is talking to when Gabriel, because it mentions Gabriel, and is that the same Gabriel that spoke to Mary, or is it is it an archangel, like one of God's, because there's two of them, aren't there? Isn't there Gabriel, and there's another archangel that spoke to Daniel as well, or was it God uh-huh. himself? That's my uh, question. Well, well, and then, okay. And um, the on um, chapter ten, verse nineteen, at the very end, there's something that he tells because Daniel's scared. Uh, he's in it, it's, he says, "I, Daniel, I'm scared." And the angel of the Lord tells him, "Be strong, uh, because you're highly esteemed." And then I love what he said. He said, "He said, uh, peace. Be strong now." Oh God, I can't remember what he says exactly. He says. I think he says, peace, be strong now. Peace. That's or exactly like what that. he says. That's what he said. Oh, and it, it yep. just, it just, it touched me so much. But uh, could you tell me who those angels were or, or who he was? Or was it God himself that was talking to, to Daniel? And I'm going to listen to you on the app, okay? Thank you, Raymond. God bless you. You know, um, there, there's, there, there's some disagreement. Uh, about who this is. There are some, and I'm going to be very, very direct, there are some who wrongly say that this angel is Jesus simply because there is um, um, similarities in their description. Uh, this was not Jesus. Um, Gabriel is the the archangel who has a very specific ministry of announcing, being the herald of Jesus. And since this is all about Jesus, this was an archangel that he was talking to at all. When he says in the fifth verse, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his arms um, uh, I'm sorry, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Um, the, the, because Jesus described in Revelation chapter 1, with some of the similar appearances, there are those who believe this is a Christophany. This is not a Christophany. Others say it's Michael, the archangel, but we know it's not Michael. Uh, because Michael is identified in this same chapter, and he is distinct from the angel who's speaking. We know that uh, in the in the verses that we have. So uh, this is going to be an archangel, almost certainly. This is Gabriel, but we don't have anything that tells us it is. So um, I think that's really, really, really important for us. Um, it, it's a very, very powerful angel. We know that there are different levels of principalities and powers, both good angels and fallen angels. And this is an angel that is going to be up there uh, in the same um, realm of authority as Lucifer, the fallen angel we call Satan. Um, but but maybe Lucifer a little more powerful because we know later in this chapter 
that uh, this angel needed Michael's help. And whenever you see Satan messing around with God's people, God sends Michael Israel's prince or Israel's protector, and he's the one. So what we've got, Reuben, is a picture of of um, Michael the archangel and Satan who are on equal levels of strength, power, and authority in heaven. And then the other angels just slightly below. But when we get to the end of chapter 9, Daniel is going to be on his face as though he were dead because of it. Good questions. And thank you for reading your Bible. You will get more out of that than um, anything else you can do. Um, I love that you're moving Reuben from um, looking for emotions for strength. And instead you're looking for I'm thrilled. Hey, by the way, um, um, what Reuben did, this is for all of us. Uh, if you'll look at the kings as he did, that he served, of course, the most notable king that he served under was Nebuchadnezzar. And you've got these great visions and, and Daniel's um, um, interaction with Nebuchadnezzar, the, the most powerful um, despot in the history of the world. And yet um, Daniel was never afraid. He spoke to him. He prayed for him. And then all we have to do is look at Daniel chapter 4, and we have Nebuchadnezzar's personal testimony. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to be in heaven. And what I always say, uh, Reuben, is that uh, I believe personally that Nebuchadnezzar, who was the most powerful man in the world at the time that he was with Daniel, is is going to be Daniel's valet in heaven (laughs) because he's only there because of those prayers. Very, very good to hear from you, Reuben. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to a question. I want to finish one that I started yesterday. Uh, I've been given this a lot of thought. This was Paul's question. We were at the end of the program yesterday, so I only got to touch on it. It was for me personally. He said, Pastor Ron, how will you respond if you're threatened with arrest for opening your church? And I said, you know, I, I, I don't know how I'll respond. I hope I'll be strong and courageous. Uh, if I'm not, I know that the Lord will appear. And I don't mean he'll appear to me, but you know what I mean. He'll speak to my heart and he'll say, be strong and courageous. What he'll say to me, because this is the way he usually talks to me, is trust me. And what we want to be able to do is trust him in good times and bad. We've got to think rationally, logically about things. We can't get carried away with emotions. We can't let fear overwhelm us. And again, I told you yesterday, Paul, I'm not a brave man. Um, I don't want to go to jail. I I don't even like camping, so you can imagine how out of the picture going to jail is for me. Um, But but you know what? I'm going to stand before the Lord and give account of this ministry. And if I'm one of those pastors who closes his church it's sort of the false notion of loving one another. You're not loving one another if, you're, if your people are hurting, if they're overwhelmed by pain. I've said on this program many times that people don't do well in isolation. Christians are not to be in isolation. I always found it encouraging that, and I, I, this sounds bad, but I found it encouraging that Paul didn't like being alone. Well, he understood the value of fellowship. And truth is, in our church culture, we just don't. It's too easy to turn on the screen and watch it. And, and church was never intended to be a digital exercise. 
so uh, we're going to we're going to stay open. I don't think we're going to be in that situation, Paul, because uh, we have a governor who is a believer, an attorney general who is a believer, and they wield the biggest hammers in in uh, um, in terms of authority in our state. So I think as long as that's the case, we should be okay. So I wanted to finish up on that yesterday, Paul. Thank you for being patient. Let's go to Cibolo, Texas, and talk with John on line one. John, thank you for calling. You are on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I have two questions for you. and One, I think, is just your opinion. But I'm just wondering, during the millennium, do you think we will have the tech that we have today, or will we go back? to simpler times. And my second question is, how do you effectively witness to a devout Mormon? Wow. Oh, I can do that, John. Thank you very much. Um, couple of, let, let, me, let me deal with the Mormon first. Um, the, the other one is interesting and fun, so let's get the, the bad news out of the way. Um, you know, Mormons, and I have dealt with a lot of them, um, elders that ride the bikes and come along to people who are really sort of searching. And, and um, John, their heart has got to be opened by the Holy Spirit. I have found very few Mormons really willing to listen. Every time I will say to somebody, well, let's look at the Word together, the Bible together. Don't you believe in the Bible? Because they carry their King James Version of the Bible, as does the Jehovah's Witnesses. Theirs is a little bit edited. but but uh, And they'll say, well, yeah, we believe in it, insofar as it's been correctly translated. And that's their out. And that's when they've got to go through uh, Joseph Smith and his interpretation, his magic glasses, and... and um, the only way that I've found, and, and this is just leaving it in the hands of the Holy Spirit, John, the only way that I've found to be effective is challenge them on the deity of Jesus Christ. Every cult, and Mormons are a cult, Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult, every cult diminishes the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses, I had this question yesterday, believe that he is Michael the Archangel and just taking on another form. Mormons believe that he is the Son of God, but not God the Son. He has no deity, and they'll use the same language, we're saved by his blood, he died for our sins, uh, we want to go to heaven, all those things. But no Mormon can ever tell you with any confidence that they're going to heaven. And so what they'll do is they will appeal to your emotions. Well, you just read the Book of Mormon and see if you don't get that burning in your bosom. And I don't want any of the emotions involved. So, John, what I contribute to them is simply you look up the person of Jesus Christ. He overwhelmingly, repeatedly said he was God. And if he is not God, then he is a liar. And if he's a liar, then even your Jesus can't save. Certainly my Jesus can't save. But that's really the only approach that I've ever found with any success. And when I plant the seed, the Holy Spirit goes uh, behind and, and waters that seed. But the truth is they've got to be willing to hear. If they keep arguing, if they keep coming back with, with their pat arguments, um, then they don't want to hear. And I always tell people, when people stop listening, stop talking. So, John, that's 
the best I can do with that. And I know that's never a satisfying answer. We want a formula, but you can't debate people into heaven. It's got to be a move of God's spirit. The other question about tech in the millennium. Now, this is really interesting to me, uh, and I can't explain this because I'm the least techie guy in the history of our world, John. Uh, But in the millennium, now remember, you and I will be tech. We will be tech. Think about that for a moment. We're going to be in our glorified, resurrected, physical bodies. We're going to be like Jesus. Our lowly bodies will be like his glorious, resurrected body. And 1 Corinthians 13 says, Now we know in part, but then when we're with him, we will know in full. So we'll be tech. We won't have to have any access to technology. We won't have to have any access at all to technology. And so when Jesus rules and reigns, we'll be ruling and reigning with him. Our bodies will be physical, but they're going to take on the characteristics of Jesus' body. Remember when the uh, disciples who will be apostles are gathered together in the upper room for fear of the Jews. Jesus just walked through the wall and said, peace, shalom. And when he said, peace, can you imagine how shocked they were? We'll be able to do that. When he was walking with the Emmaus Road disciples, I believe one of those disciples was Luke. Can't prove it, but but I I believe that to be true. Um, He was walking with them. He sat down to eat with them. As soon as he broke bread and they recognized him, he was gone. In an instant, he was gone. That's who we'll be. And as much as we'd like to think we have the mind of Christ now, we have access to the mind of Christ by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God, but we will be just like he is and the only mysteries that we won't know are the mysteries that he chooses to hold so he can reveal them to us over and over and over imagine uh, John I always tease our church here and say you know I'm probably going to get San Antonio to be uh, ruling and reigning with Jesus in but if I want to go to Jerusalem and see him sitting on the throne of his ancestor David I'm going to be able just to think it and be there and I can't even imagine. So, no tech. The, 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 other, the rest of this is speculation. But I also believe that we're going to go back to simpler times for those who are left after the Great Tribulation uh, who will be in their physical bodies. Now remember, it says during the millennium, an infant will die at the age of 100. So people are going to live a long time. The, 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 in the beginning, they lived 900 plus years, and, and then life began to get shorter and shorter as sin took control. Uh, I think when Jesus reverses the curse, men are going to start living longer. And um, I really believe, and this is just me speculating, John, I believe that Things are going to be much simpler, and I think we're going to find our joy and our delight in taking those trips to the Holy Land. It really will be the Holy Land then, in in, in sitting at the feet of Jesus and just listening and learning to, to marvel at the goodness, the fairness, the justice of God. And uh, I, I really don't think that technology will be a part of it. I think it'll be a whole new order of things, technology, I personally don't think will be a part of it. For me, that will be one of the great blessings of all. So no Facebook, no Twitter, no Snapchat or the other things that I don't know anything about. Uh, I, I can't imagine anything being sweeter 
than that, John. So that's just me. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Andy. He says, did Jesus die for everyone or just for some? Uh, Andy, you have been infected by Calvinist teaching or Reformed theology. Um, What does the Bible say? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. Peter says God is unwilling that any should perish. Paul writes to Timothy that he's the Savior. Jesus is the Savior of all men, comma, especially for those who believe. So here's the thing that we've got to understand. The work of Jesus, the, the finished work on the cross of Jesus, is efficacious. It's, it's enough for all people. But it's only efficient for those who will believe. That's what's important. But when you're listening to Bible teachers tell you that he only died for the elect, the chosen, um, there's no place in the Bible where election is spoken of in any other connection except relative to salvation. Never once is it spoken of in terms of uh, what, what is called in the Calvinist, Calvinism doctrine double election. Uh, never is it spoken of as, as electing people for hell. You know, logically you say, oh, he chooses some for heaven, he got to choose some for hell. No, God chooses those, according to his foreknowledge, he chooses those who are going to choose him back. So, Andy, don't ever let anybody tell you that Jesus died for only some people. He died for everyone. The real tragedy, Andy, is that um, Jesus himself said that the road to salvation is narrow and few find it, but the road to destruction is wide and well-traveled. In other words, that's the busy highway that everybody's on and, um, and, and nobody needs to be separated from Jesus Christ for eternity. That's the choice they make. He honors the choice that we make during this life. He honors that choice in eternity. Good question, Andy. Thank you very, very much. Jose asks an interesting question. Pastor Ron, do you think we should listen to Bible teachers who have some differing doctrinal positions um, other than the ones that we hold? Um, Jose, yeah, I I think we we need to be wise. I don't know what level um, in in terms of studying your Bible you are, how mature you are, uh, but but, um, I think listening to opposing views is one of those things that helps you sharpen your, your own doctrinal position. Um, so yeah, I, I listen to a John MacArthur, for example. Um, um, I listen to uh, people who um, um, have different views because, by and large, I get blessed by them. Um, but I, I just sort of tune out the parts that doctrinally are positions that I think are indefensible. So yeah, I think we should. Now we need to be careful again. Because depending on your level of maturity and, and your, your foundation in the Word, uh, it's easy to get tripped up. You know, you listen to a John MacArthur, you listen to an R.C. Sproul who's now with the Lord and knows that, that God died for the whole world. You listen to them and they can be very convincing and they're very, very confident. Um, and it can shake your faith. So, again, depending on your level of maturity... 
um, I think it's a good thing to listen to Bible teachers have some different positions. You know, one of the one of the things I've got a question. I don't know that I'll get to it today, but uh, one of the questions that, that I've, I've received is about uh, cessationists. Uh, I'm a, a you know, if if you listen to somebody like a MacArthur or like a J. Vernon McGee, uh, who were cessationists, they believe that the gifts of the Spirit stopped functioning uh, when we got the Word of God. Um, um, you, you realize that they're using the gift of teaching that was given them. The Holy Spirit is leading them. And they're they're really good. A, a, a guy that I like who is both Reformed and a cessationist, Vadi Bachman, uh, I could listen to him all day. Tony Evans, Dr. Evans, is a is another one that I can listen to. Uh, Charles Stanley, who I I admire so much. I mean, he's like 150 years old. He's like 87, I think. Um, but I love to see these guys finishing well. John MacArthur has been a pastor for 50 years. I really admire these men because they're finishing really, really well. And uh, Jose, they bless me. Um, when, when I'm listening to them, I say, well, I don't think that's right. Or, well, I don't need to listen to that. But on the whole, they bless me a lot. And I think uh, they'll challenge some of your doctrinal positions, which is a good thing. They'll send you back to the Bible. And uh, it will only solidify the decisions you've made in terms of a systematic theology. Good question, Jose. Thanks a lot. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in today's program. We would love your live calls and questions. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. It's the Word to Santa for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to Pastor Ron KSLR at gmail.com. That's Pastor Ron KSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show, 340-9585. Let's go right back to the phones and talk with Glenn from San Antonio Online One. Glenn, thanks for calling. You are on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron, it's it's uh, just good to be listening to you and to absorb the message and the information you share, your wisdom. I, I've been Thanks, wrestling man. with some uh, questions about prayer, and I, mm-hmm. and I realize and I believe that prayer is a conversation with God, and uh, I believe in the tri- uh, triune God, that there's only one God, and, and He, he uh, shows Himself in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here's what I'm wrestling with. When, when I go to pray, should there be times when I pray to Jesus? And, or, and, or do I just pray to God in Jesus' name? Do I pray to the Holy Spirit? And, and this has just been on my mind here the last few days, and my wife told me I'm overthinking it. And I said, well, I'm going to call brother, uh, Pastor Ron. <laughs> Tell you. Tell your wife she's she's very discerning. I think you are overthinking it, and and let me explain why, Glenn. Um, and, and I think once this, if if I'm able to to 
adequately explain this to you. It should radically change your prayer life. Um, when we understand the, 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 the different ministries of the triune God, you're right, one God, three persons. It's not one plus one plus one equals three. It's one times one times one, and that we know equals one. It's one God in three persons. Now, the Father, we're told in the New Testament, lives in unapproachable light. That means we're lost. We have no way to get to God. We can't see Him and live. He lives in unapproachable light. The Son was made like us so that we could approach the unapproachable light. The Son revealed the Father to us. And because He did, we have access. Because He died and He was sinless and His, his uh, tomb was empty on the third day, we have access to the unapproachable light that, that the Father lives in. So, we'd never know God except for Jesus. Now, when Jesus left, beginning in John chapter 14, read John 14 through 17, when Jesus was leaving, he looked at his disciples, and they were just heartbroken. They were crushed. Their hopes had been sucked out of them. And, and Jesus said to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And then he goes on through that and says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Before that, he said, I'm going to come back and get you to be, to take you to be with me where I am. But then don't worry. You're, you're going to be here. There's work to do. But I will send the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And then he says, he will testify about me. So the Father sent the Son so that we could know the Father, who lives in an unapproachable light. The Son became one of us so that we had access to God. And then when Jesus ascended into, uh, into heaven with his Father, he left the Holy Spirit. And it's a very important word. In Greek, it's alos. Jesus said to his disciples, I will send another me. And that's why Paul says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now, all of that to say, when we pray, the Holy Spirit will point to Jesus. Jesus will reveal the Father. But we speak to Jesus. Often, Glenn, when people have a hard time um, um, uh, imagining God, you know, we pray, Dear God, or Heavenly Father, Lord God, the kind of things that we say needlessly in our prayers, uh, it, it's sort of a distant God. Jesus brings that distant God near. Jesus makes him real. Jesus makes him touchable. And so when I pray when I'm out walking with the Lord, when I'm just talking throughout the day, um, I'm talking to Jesus. I, I, I say, good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. But almost, I would guess, 90% of the rest of my conversation is with Jesus all day, every day. And I'm glad you pointed that out because prayer is nothing more than conversation. We don't have to be on our knees. That's a good thing for somebody my age, Glenn. You can just, Jesus is with you wherever you go. And he's with you in the person of the Holy Spirit, who is another. That Greek word means the same in substance, different only in physicality. And the Holy Spirit, when you talk to him, he's always going to point back to Jesus anyway. 
So I just talk to Jesus. Now, another thing that we need to understand is that there's no jealousy, there's no competition between the members of the Godhead. So if you're talking to Jesus, the Father's not saying up there, well, you're no, I'm the one who sent him, you're ignoring me, and the Holy Spirit's not feeling like the forgotten member of the Trinity. So just talk to Jesus, and both the Father and the Holy Spirit will become closer and more real to you. One final thing. When Jesus said, up to now, you've asked nothing in my name, but now you can ask in my name. And that's why we end our prayers in Jesus' name, amen. But that's kind of to miss the point of what Jesus was saying. What he was saying was that my name, and the name in a Jewish culture uh, was far more important than just the name. It was a picture of the character, the nature of the person. And so Jesus said, now, because of what I've done, my name has opened access to you. And so you go because of the way that I've made for you. You know, Glenn, when I think about uh, Jesus crying out, it is finished and giving up his spirit. And we know that the, the, the veil in the temple, it's an 18 inch thick, weighing hundreds and hundreds of pounds curtain separating the holy place from the most holy place, or the holy of holies. And no Jew could ever look in and see the, the ark. No, no Jew could ever look into the holy of holies other than the high priest and only once a year on the Day of Atonement. And so when he would go in there, he would come out and, and, and the crowds would erupt on the Day of Atonement knowing that their sins now were covered over for the next year. Well, all of a sudden, we forget sometimes the exclusive Jewishness of Jesus' ministry. When Jesus died and that veil was torn, the people in the temple, those who were serving, those who were just there for the first time ever, they would have seen the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant. They would have seen for the very first time that which had been forbidden, that which was off limits. And what a trophy that is for us, that Jesus gave up his life so that we have access. Now, Glenn, one other comment. When I talk to the Holy Spirit, there are some very specific things. And one of those things is, Lord, I need to be connected to you. I need to be plugged into the source of power. Holy Spirit, I can do nothing apart from you. So fall upon me. Empower me. And let me walk through this day with the power of heaven at my disposal. And so that's a request I'm making of the Holy Spirit because he's the one who's provided this infinite power within. Glenn, I hope I made that simple enough and made sense enough because when you understand that, it just sets you free and your prayer times become a talk with Jesus rather than this thing that we feel some legalistic obligation to do. We get to enjoy the fact that Jesus called us his friend. We get to enjoy that he said he was our elder brother in Hebrews. We're just walking and talking with Jesus. It changed my prayer life, and I've been doing this 
Well, pretty much since I got saved, Glenn. And the more I grow in the grace and knowledge of God and of His will for my life, the more desperate I am for those kinds and times of prayer. Glenn, God bless you. Thank you for that. Listen to your wife. She's smart. <laughs> 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is our next question. This one came from Michael. Um, he said, who has been your biggest, I'm sorry, who have been, he says, your biggest influences in the ministry? Um, that's a really difficult question, Michael. Um, Chuck Smith. Um, um, Calvary Chapel's founding pastor. Um, when I got saved, he was my, and, and, and since I've been a Calvary pastor for 25 years, he's my pastor now. He went to be home with the Lord four or five years ago, five years ago, I think. And um, um, I, just his steadiness was the biggest influence. You know, Michael, the first time I heard him preach, I was uh, I, I grew up in Southern California where everybody knew about Calvary Chapel, but I never had anything to do with church. I was probably the one guy, one Christian in California didn't know who Chuck Smith was. And I remember turning around on Christian TV and um, uh, I, I saw him. He was a, a simple guy, great baritone voice, rich, um, but he just stood there, bald head, big smile, and he was teaching like he really knew this Jesus. And there was just this quiet joy. He wasn't a storyteller, he wasn't a laugher, he wasn't funny, but there was just, it was almost like there was a glow about him. And I remember thinking, you know, he's got his hands on either side of the pulpit and he just teaches the Bible. That was a huge influence in my life. I saw that and I realized you didn't have to be exciting. You didn't have to be charismatic. You didn't have to be any of those things. And I'm none of those things. He just had to teach the Bible. And so he was a huge influence. The joy that he walked around with. And he was a man who struggled with lots of pain as he got older he had all kinds of things you'd never know it other than to watch him limp and stuff. Uh, he always had a smile on his face. He always had time to talk. He never wanted to talk about himself. It was always about Jesus. And, and when you were talking to him, he made you feel like you were the only one there. Another big influence in my ministry is, a, is a, another guy. He's not a Calvary Chapel pastor anymore, but he was. His name is John Corson from uh, Oregon, the Medford Valley or from Medford, Oregon, in the Rogue Valley. Um, and John was simply um, the, the, the most godly man I've ever met. I've been in, in a Christian for 29 years. I've been around pastors. All over. He's the godliest man I've ever met. He still has a pretty vibrant ministry going to the church that he shares with one of his sons. Um, he's a man who went through unspeakable loss. Uh, lost a wife, lost two of his children. And he, it was just this solid, inescapable joy that he had. And I remember wanting to be like him. So those are probably the two biggest influences personally uh, in my ministry. There are lots of men that I admire, uh, that I'm in contact with uh, on a regular basis. 
Uh, but but those are probably the two biggest influences um, in, in the ministry that I've had. Uh, I said, Michael, uh, at, a little earlier in the program, as I'm growing older, um, I'm I'm deeply moved by people who are older than me who refuse to quit, and and they're still full of fire and still full of joy, and God is still using, and they're still walking by faith, they're still taking risks. Men like David Jeremiah, men like Charles Stanley, um, men like Tony Evans, they're all older than I am. And, uh, man, they're not slowing down, so I am being influenced as I grow older by them as well. Thank you for that question. Here is an anonymous question. If I die without forgiving someone, will I forfeit my salvation according to what Jesus said? Um, Anonymous, Jesus said um, that we should pray, Lord, forgive my sins as I forgive the sins of others, those who've sinned against me. He also said that if you do not forgive, then your sins will not be forgiven. Now, we can't minimize that. Now, Jesus wasn't talking about salvation. What Jesus was saying, and Paul uh, amplifies this in his epistles, forgiving others is a sign that you are a Christian. He's not suggesting we try to forgive if it works out. What he's saying is, look, if you're a Christian, you're going to forgive. And Anonymous, the reason he does that is because he doesn't want you to be bound by unforgiveness. He doesn't want the devil to have an opening to to mess with you. And when we refuse to forgive, when we hold on to grudges, then the enemy is going to pound us over and over and over. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you're a Christian... You will forgive. And if there are people in your life that you are unwilling to forgive, then that's one of those moments that you need to get alone with the Lord and do what the Apostle Paul says, examine yourself daily to see whether or not you're in the faith. No guilt trip here, and I'm not trying to scare anybody into into forgiving. I'm just saying that, that God has given us all the heart to forgive and the command to forgive. And if we who have been forgiven of so much by God are unwilling to forgive others, even those who have hurt us, what does that say about our relationship with God? I can honestly say to you, Anonymous, that there is not a single person on this planet that I hold any grudges against. I hold no unforgiveness. I am a, an eager and gracious forgiver And the reason I am is because I have been eagerly and graciously forgiven of so much more than what anybody's done to me. And I find that when we have people that we're unwilling to forgive, then the enemy is going to take every opportunity he can to destroy us. And that's a huge opening that we're giving. So... Um, Do you have to forgive perfectly? God would love you to forgive perfectly. But remember, all of your sins, past, present, and future, are covered by the blood of Jesus. So in this matter of forgiving people or, or holding on to unforgiveness, the result will be you will be free to walk in the, in the joy of the Lord or you will be bound by your unforgiveness towards somebody else 
and your walk with Jesus will be unfruitful. Now, I know a lot of people have had really bad things that happened to them, been betrayed and hurt deeply, in many cases by people that they ought to be able to trust, in many cases by people representing God, priests and pastors. And I know forgiving is difficult. We have to remember that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And one of those all things is forgiving, even the most difficult to forgive. So I hope that makes sense to you. And if you are withholding forgiveness from someone, please repent and let God do something really marvelous in you. One other comment. Um, The people that we find it the most difficult to forgive are the people we need to pray for every day. The people that we don't like, the people that get on our nerves, God forbid I have to use this word, but even sometimes the people we hate. We have no right to say anything about them or to them if we're not praying for them. And God will really change your heart. He's done it in my life. He'll do it in yours. And there's a moment when we feel giddy with freedom when we finally lay down all of those grudges that we're carrying against people. Now, they may deserve them. That's not the point. Jesus gave you grace, unmerited favor. And he's just simply saying, if you want to be free, you give unmerited favor to people as well. So I hope that makes sense. 340-9585. I think we got just enough time if somebody else wants to call very quickly, but I'll take this call. Anonymous says, I have a family member who thinks he is saved, but now she's seriously ill, and I haven't seen any fruit at all in her life. Should I say something or just be quiet? Well, because she's seriously ill, Anonymous, you can't be quiet. You absolutely cannot be quiet. Eternity is staring her in the face, and you want to make sure that she's with the Lord. So here's the thing you do now. You start talking to her. And tell her just what you tell me. Say, look, I'm not judging you. You say you're a believer, but I've never seen any evidence of the fruit of the Spirit or the love of God. I've never seen any interest in in pursuing holiness. So let me ask you a question. What makes you think you're a Christian? What makes you think you're saved? And just for me, I always use this. I always say, look, I can't imagine heaven without you, so I need to know. And then talk with her. And as long as she stays seriously ill, you keep talking to her. Every time you knock on the door, they ought to know what your message is going to be. And might it cause you to lose a friendship? It might, but nothing is worse than watching a family member die and you didn't have the courage to tell her the truth. Again, this isn't about judging your soul. That's God's business, not ours. But you need to know, and she needs to know how concerned you are to know, that if she dies, she's going to go to heaven, and she's going to be with Jesus, and you're going to see each other again. So you cannot be quiet. You have to say something. Here is a question. This will probably be our last question for the day. It's from Wendy. i got four minutes. I can do this. In this time of coronavirus, 
Why doesn't God wipe out the virus and prove to people he really is God? I know he is, but most people do not. Wendy, we have more evidence that Jesus Christ truly is God, inescapable evidence, if we just want it. If we just want it. You know, this is a fallen world. This world is is uh, subject to illness, to disease, to pestilence, to famine, and all kinds of other things. Um, and God doesn't owe us to wipe it out. Now, let me just share you with my uh, my heart with you for a minute, Wendy. Uh, I've been praying daily that God would stop this instantly in such a way that everybody would know it was God. And then maybe he would, and because I'm talking to him, I'm using me as an example, but it could be any Christian. Then it'd be somebody who's well known. But here's what I say, Lord. You tell me that you want to stop it. I'll tell the world. And then when you stop it, I'll tell them everybody's now accountable. God did this in answer to your prayers. God proved it was him and only him who could have done it. Now you're all accountable to know this Jesus. Truth is, Wendy, even if we were able to do it in a supernatural way that nobody could escape, people would still rebel against Jesus. The truth is they hate him. God didn't cause this virus, but he's using it to reach people. There's such an overwhelming level of fear associated with this. The unknown people don't know. And God is using it to get attention. That's why we have this opportunity to share Jesus more fruitfully than perhaps at any time in my lifetime as a Christian. It's one of the real tragedies of Christians staying in their homes because we're ignoring the Great Commission. Now you tell me what's more important to obey. Our authorities who tell us to stay inside and be in fear or to obey the Great Commission. To go out and make disciples, to tell people about Jesus while their hearts are ripe, while their hearts are ready. If ever there was a time that Jesus could show up and say, um, the fields are ripe for harvest already, that time in the United States of America is right now. And so, Wendy, God's probably not going to wipe it out, but he loves people so much, he's got people like you and me to tell them about his son crucified and risen from the dead. So that's what we need to do people that seek signs and wonders Jesus said are an evil and adulterous generation the religious leaders who should have known God were all the time challenging Jesus to do something to authenticate his authority to say something like walking on water and raising people from the dead and cleansing lepers wasn't enough so pray just pray his spirit is at work Hope he can use us. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. God bless you. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 
And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Running for Word to Stand On.